Welcome to the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chalmers, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And today I'm joined by my guest co-host, Dr. John Barlow, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. John, how you doing? Doing great. Had a great day. Me too. Before we get started, I should mention the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Society, the University of Utah, the Mayo Clinic, or the institutions of any of our guests. So we have the supreme good fortune to be joined today by Dr. Thibault Lafosse. Um, we have uh, been visiting him here in Annecy, France for the past several days, and we've had just a phenomenal visit. We've seen his clinic and his operating room, and then also we've seen Annecy, which is stunningly gorgeous and full of all sorts of fun activities. Um, so um, thank you for being such a gracious host to us, Thibault, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that you came to visit me. I think the honor is mine. I'm very happy that you guys spent some time to come all the way to, to here, and um, I hope that uh, you enjoyed being around us. We've, I, I personally have had a phenomenal visit. I think I've learned a ton. I wanted to start, you know, the first day we spent with you in clinic, you know, you have a relatively unique practice where you see a lot of brachioplexus injuries. You have training in microsurgery and in hand surgery, but also treat a lot of shoulders. And, you know, we, we in, in shoulder, we see a lot of brachioplexus and neuropathic problems where I think maybe they see more of us than we see of them. I wanted to chat first through, you know, you have some really specific things you do in your exam really consistently that I, I think listeners will really benefit for. So talk us through your exam, not, you know, of how do the nerves function, but how do you examine for neuropathies of the brachial plexus? Well, first uh, you're saying uh, something important is that um, I always uh, make that neurologic problem maybe something that can cause the pain. So it's something I keep in mind when I examine on my shoulders. So I always first, I always ask the patients to um, take off their shirts so I can examine on their back, women in bras, men without anything. Um, I examine on patients standing. This is something different from the people in Lyon, for example, or from other people who would examine on the patients laying down. And I don't think it's a problem. I look at their scapulothoracic motions always because it would guide me through a neurological problem if there is one. Uh, and of course, after a general clinical cuff instability and shoulder exam, I look for pain that can be caused by neurological symptoms. So I look for suprascapular nerve pain at the compression point, uh, which is the point where you're trying to target the coracoid notch from the back. And I look for a reproduction of that pain with the suprascapular nerve stretch test. I look for pain around the coracoid uh, at the level of the pec minor. I look for pain in the interscalonic area. So this is something that I, yeah, quite often do with my clinical exam, but it's not always the case. Like if I have a straightforward cuff tear case or a straightforward instability case, I won't necessarily look for a neurological problem. Now this content isn't necessarily the most amenable to audio, but describe briefly how you do the suprascapular nerve stretch test. And then you also, it looks like, do a brachial plexus stretch test. How do you do that test? And how do they differ? Yeah, so I think it's important for your for our audience today to understand that if we're speaking about those kind of problems, we're speaking about a specific 
presentation, clinical presentation, right? So we're speaking about the patient doesn't really have a cause for pain uh, in his shoulder, but still is painful. And you have second thoughts about maybe that he's got a neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, or maybe he has a hypertonic pec minor, or maybe there's something neurologic that can explain the pain. So indeed the suprascapular nerve stretch test is the test that was well described by my father. And you can find that test well described in, in, in many papers. And there are pictures also in the technical papers that uh, we wrote, you know, thoroscopy technique for uh, suprascapular nerve release and for brachioplexus um, release. But basically, you pull the shoulder down and laterally and you pull the head the other way around and uh, to the back. So you try to stretch the brachial plexus, but more the suprascapular nerve. So the tilt inferior and lateral to the, and posterior of the, of the scapula is important to recreate the pain that the patient describes. So that pain you can create it by pushing at this point, which is not really the, the niviasor point. It's the point where you will meet the coracoid notch coming from the back through the trapezius and through the supraspinatus fossa. So that's one thing. And the other thing for the plexus stretch test, I try to differentiate the pain when it comes from pec minor stretch test. So this is with arms adducted. So I pull the shoulders to the back and I try to recreate the discomfort that the patient is complaining from. plexus stretch test is more in abduction and forward uh, and uh, retropulsion, external rotation. So I try to rotate the, the, the clavicle to decrease the space between the clavicle and the rib. Yeah. That's great. Um, and I think the, the other thing that you've written about is hyperextension, uh, internal rotation test. Um, can you talk a little bit about that test? And, um, and then uh, you can follow up with that one. The other one that I really enjoyed was um, holding the arm in, in abduction and supination, internal rotation, external rotation, supination test. Can you describe those for the for the listeners and where yes so you're talking about two different tests you're yeah. talking about the hairy test the one we published about was my father's idea and i wrote a paper because i did an anatomical work about it the idea of this is just it, you, you can look at it as if it's the gaget test you can either do the gaget or this one it's going to tell you that there's a glenohumeral lesion um, at the level of the inferior glenohumeral ligament so the gadget test, when it's positive, there's 15 degrees difference between healthy and pathological side because of the lesion of the inferior glenohumeral ligament. The Harry test is the same. When the Harry test shows a 15 degrees difference between the healthy and pathological shoulder, it means that your inferior glenohumeral ligament is torn. That's what it means. So the principle, the concept of this test is just to bring the patient in internal rotation and then retropulsion but you have to make sure that he won't bend his spine forward otherwise you may overestimate the hyperextension. Mm -hmm. so this is why the contralateral arm is up and we lock the spine this way internal rotation so that you don't face the bone loss of the the hill sacs and the and the bone loss of the glenoid so it doesn't create uh, apprehension for the patients. Um, so that's the one test that I systematically do in my clinical exam when I look for instability. 
And then you were mentioning another test, which is the abduction rotational internal uh, in, internal rotation supination or abduction external rotation supination. So in French, we call it ARES and ARIS. So that's a test that enables us to analyze the stability of the biceps in the groove and maybe find an infra um, infraradiographic or MRI lesion of the deep subscap or deep supraspinatus. Upper part of subscap will be uh, will create a painful abduction, external rotation and supination test where uh, a deep, deep layer tear of the anterior part of the supraspinatus will create a painful abduction, internal rotation and supination test. That's great. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen that used, and I think it was it was uh, fun to watch you apply that. So let's um, talk. Uh, any more questions about um, uh, about clinic? But let's talk about surgery a little bit. We saw some beautiful um, surgery in the front of the shoulder, and I think that's something that your father brought. And working uh, in the front of the shoulder, we did a really nice AC joint reconstruction. Can you tell us about your sort of evolution through some of the um, anterior base shoulder surgery. You can talk, uh, tell us about arthroscopic latergé and how you've increased the safety margin in terms of um, taking care of the nerves and dissecting the brachial plexus arthroscopically. Yes, so you mentioned I'm a hand surgery trained surgeon. Uh, I'm a microsurgeon. I still do a lot of brachial plexus pulses and uh, shoulder surgery for me doesn't changed much from from the rest of the surgeries I do around the hand elbow and uh, I feel I feel scared when I don't know where the nerves are I'm, I'm scared to damage them I know how many neurological complications there are uh, after that RJs because I get those uh, and I, I do nerve transfers for iatrogenic uh, uh, nerve injuries around the shoulder and I don't want my patients uh, to have iatrogenic injuries so I go and see their nerves so my way of doing uh, shoulder surgery when I work in the anterior part of the shoulder is to go and expose the nerve, see them, expose them, protect them, and I know where they are at every step. So yeah, it started with my father dissecting the brachial plexus after uh, developing the arthroscopic latergé. That's what he taught me. And then I, I learned how to do uh, endoscopic brachial plexus release. And I applied that technique to all my endoscopic surgery around the anterior part of the shoulder. So that's indeed the arthroscopic latergé. That's also AC joint reconstructions. That's extended uh, release of massive subscap tears. Uh, but that's also, as we discussed earlier today, uh, the management of a terrible triad of the shoulder where you have a massive cuff lesion with a glenoid uh, fracture or uh, an instability of the shoulder and an and, and axillary nerve or brachial plexus palsy. I'm able to go and check at the brachial plexus, explore it and see whether there's a lesion and it's going to be something that I need to repair or there is no lesion and it's going to recover. Yeah, I mean, we saw, you know, you mentioned AC joint reconstruction. I think that was a case both John and I commented. We, there were so many fresh novel ideas in the way you approached that particular pathology. Talk us through your technique for that because I think it's, I know it's something you're working on looking up and publishing, but we would we would love to get a sneak peek as to what we're going to see in the future. Yeah, so I think, thank you for asking the question because 
You saw it's a difficult procedure and uh, it's technically demanding. Uh, we're doing this in a patient that was in a trauma not so long ago. So there's a lot of bleeding hematoma and it's difficult. But I'm still wanting to develop this technique, which is an all endoscopic technique. I don't open at all. I don't open the joint. I don't open the, the skin. I do all arthroscopy. Uh, and again, this is something that my father uh, helped me uh, develop. It was his idea at first and I reproduced it and I modified it. Uh, but uh, the idea, yeah, is just to try and dissect as much as possible the remaining stumps of the ligaments and reconstruct it and disincarcerate de 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 uh, the clavicle from a, a buttonhole, maybe, uh, a boutonniere um, on the trapezius deltoid fascia. So um, I try to really expose the clavicle com completely, uh, looking from the interior part of the shoulder, I expose the lower part, inferior part of the clavicle, then I expose the superior part of the clavicle, then I expose the AC joint. Then I also try to keep the CA ligament, use it to reconstruct the anterior part of the CA, uh, so the, sorry, the, the AC ligament. And, um, and I pass my sutures um, through the remaining stumps of the ligaments. And one of the novel ideas that you also mentioned is maybe the fact that I try to reconstruct the 3D uh, bundles of the core, the CC ligaments, because I I pass around the coracoid and I pass through the clavicle at two different levels, so you can see that because it's well described in our paper uh, that was published in Arthroscopy Technique as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we again, I appreciate you going through. We were I, it's as you mentioned, technically demanding, but. Also, I think it had a lot of advantages. I mean, you were able to visualize the reduction of the acromion as compared to the clavicle intraoperatively. As you mentioned, referencing both, both bundles, as you also mentioned, using the CA ligament to restore some of the AC ligaments, yeah. kind of a reverse weaver done or maybe a done mm. weaver, so to speak. <laughs> um, so it was, it was great to see. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times that... Um, I th we've tiptoed around him a little, a little bit. Is obviously you're the son of Laurent Lafosse, who's we've had him on the podcast. He's made great contributions to our our field. Um, we've we've been. I personally have loved to come see you here because you're you've taken that legacy, but then you're adding all of your own spin on it and taking it, you know, like taking it to the next level. Tell us a little bit about that. What is it like to be in that position? Well, it, it is, uh, I'm lucky. Uh, I'm uh, amongst all the fellows that my father had and amongst all the people that he trained, I'm probably the most privileged. So, um, you know, I wanted to become a doctor because I was looking up to him when I, when I was a kid and I always admired my father a lot. And um, so I wanted to be like him. Like a lot of kids want to be like their fathers. And then... A lot of people said, yeah, it must be very hard to be Laurent Lafosse's son. And, well, you know, uh, he helped me move forward. He pushed me forward and he put me under the light. He, he was a ramp for me towards the star, as I said. And uh, I think that I'm, I was very lucky to be able to train with him. Uh, and we have a special relationship. He believes in me. He pushes me forward. He's a great counsel. And um, 
yeah, I'm I'm just a lucky person to have benefited from being so close to him. And where I am now is 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 thanks to my work. I mean, I've worked a lot, uh, but he's helped me a lot to be where I am now. Well, I mean, it's it's great to see. I mean, it's nice to see, you know, that you've sure received that benefit, but also worked so hard for it yourself, and that those two things synergize for you to be able to, you know, reach beyond at a young age where I think many surgeons would be in your it it, it um, you know at this point. Um, is there anything else you would want to share with us? Yeah, I think uh, maybe we didn't have enough time to um, to. To, to speak about this, well, we spoke about it together, and uh, you 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 met our research fellow. Um, I think there is something very important that I'm trying to do, and I hope that you saw that during clinics. I'm trying to be very thorough on data collection and to be very thorough on the patients I'm seeing. And I mentioned the AC joint reconstruction technique, and I don't know yet if this technique is working better than a simple technique with a tightrope that will take 30 minutes. But I won't change until science shows me that I'm wrong or I'm right. And everything in my life as a surgeon, I'm trying to get it evidence-based medicine. I think it's very important and um, I'm trying also to, to prove my father's points, the things that he did during his whole life I'm, I'm trying to prove him right and uh, about the subscalp repair in reverse shoulder arthroplasty. These are things that we're looking at and, um, and, and, and we're very lucky in that institution of the Surgery Institute that he created and that I'm now managing uh, because we have partners, we have fellows, we, we have a research fellow and um, this is something that is in my mind tremendously important to continue doing well. Well, um, I want to thank you for coming on and talking through this with us. Um, again, I think congratulations to, to, to you for what we've seen. Um, I, I absolutely commend you for following the patients and collecting data on them, and that's so critical for us to understand the things we do, how well do they work, and how do we do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So thanks again for your hospitality and for um, showing us everything you know in Annecy and in, in, in your clinical practice. We really appreciate you being such a great host. Thank you for coming.